Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to podcast like it's 1999. Uh, we're going to do something like we did a couple weeks ago again, where we're going to have uh, two interviews, one with Rena Mamoon for the season two premiere sophomoric. Um, she's going to talk with us about her thoughts on the episode and uh, being a fan of Felicity and all of that. And then afterwards we have another interview with the director of the episode, Lawrence Trilling, who will walk us through the various details of directing a season premiere and what it was like to be back at Felicity and all that. So stick around for that too. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Liskov. And with us today, we have Rena Mamoon, writer, producer on Dawson's Creek, Everwood, Gilmore Girls, Pushing Daisy, some of your favorite shows, uh, executive producer, creator, showrunner of, of the underrated Privilege, which I thought was fantastic and I wish more people watched, and Mistresses, which is on. Uh, so I, I'm so thrilled to have you here today, Rena, to talk about uh, the season two premiere, Sophomoric of Felicity. Um, but before we get to that, I just wanted to sort of see where you were in 1999 and how Felicity came into your life. Oh, in 1999, <laughs> I was, I was writing. I, I'm pretty sure I was writing on Jack and Jill. Which another was underrated show. Another no underrated show yeah. on the WB. And I mm -hmm. think we either premiered, we either premiered the year after Felicity or the same season as Felicity. I can't remember. It was sort of the heyday mm -hmm. of the WB days, but I was really young and just couldn't believe that I was writing on a show about people my age. <laughs> so while I was totally fan geeking out on all the other WB shows and truthfully, 
Felicity was my favorite. It was the one that I had been desperate to get on as a writer, but I never got there. And I circled every other WB show and I never made it on to Felicity. Right. And that was the one. But I guess in some ways, that's probably why that's the show where I was the biggest fan because I had nothing to do with it. Right. <laughs> so I just got I, to watch case, it and right? love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, you almost as a as a TV fan, you almost don't want to get on the shows that you love because then you know how they make the sausages and it isn't always exactly. pretty. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So true. I skipped being a writer's assistant on Friends for that reason. I was like, oh, no nope, wow. favorite show ever. I don't want to go in that room. <laughs> I just want to watch it. Yeah. I heard some yeah, that sounded like a tough room too. <laughs> yeah, really late. Really long hours. Really yeah. long hours. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember I mean, I guess so did you watch I mean, Felicity Live, was it the type of show that you essentially... Oh, was absolutely. It, so it was appointment television for you back then? 100% appointment television. Do you remember what it was back then that sort of struck you about the show? Because I do feel like a lot of the shows that you've worked on are big-hearted shows that, that mm-hmm. pride themselves on three-dimensional characters, groundedness, making sure that you know nothing sort of... Pushing Daisies might be the most crazy of the bunch, and I love yes. Pushing Daisies. Yes. But for the most part, pretty grounded stuff. Do you think that part of that is because of your love of Felicity to some degree, or did that just bring out new sort of stuff you wanted to write? I think I, what I responded to in Felicity was absolutely that it was just characters that I felt very strong connection to. We were going through, she was just starting college. I had just finished college when the show came on. Um, And it all felt really relatable. And yes, it wasn't a high concept plot, edgy, everything that we've sort of come to understand about what television is now, Um, (laughs) which I don't watch nearly as much of it now (laughs) as I did back then when I think it was more like two people in a room talking about their feelings and what they were going through. And the plot moves were really small and Felicity is such a perfect example of that because Nothing happened to that girl. I, I, she, she just, she just had two of the most attractive men in the universe in love with her at various times in four years. And what, a, you know, how great is that? It's funny you say that because, you know, uh, we, at, for the first episode of this, we talked a little bit about the pilot. Um, and the pilot burns through so much story. Mm-hmm. I mean, some might say too much story. Yes. And, and then, you know, you start having to kind of stretch everything out and the show, prides itself on, to your point, sort of those quiet moments on a lot of wordlessness, a lot of looks, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, just <laughs> letting you sort of really stew in those moments. Today, all that would be on the editing room floor. Oh, my God. Completely. And, and it would all be shrunk down. And, and, it's, and it's kind of wonderful to see a show that, I mean, maybe this is sort of a, a thing of, of the past, but to some degree, I think we're seeing it a little bit more now. I don't know if you're watching Normal People, but that in a lot of ways reminds me of this show in some ways, mm. just in terms of just a lot of a lot of talking, which I love, but is rare. Um, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, season premieres, which I uh, assume you've written a few in your, in your time (laughs) and sort of what is required of a season premiere. (laughs) So much, so So much. Um, I think, when you're start, when you're fortunate, what's a, what's amazing actually, cause as you were saying it, I was thinking, gosh, how many season premieres have I been involved in? Because so many shows, especially after my years on the WB, you know, they didn't have the lifespan that, that they did back then. So I had 
four years of Everwood and I came into Dawson's Creek midway through. So there were still two year seasons left of that. And, but all told shows get canceled so quickly that you actually don't have to do, there's the pilot, which is its own beast, but a season right. premiere is so different from a pilot because you really want to, the goal is to bring back your fans and then hopefully if you can pull off the miracle and grow the yeah. audience a little bit with sort of a new, a new, anything that could potentially invite new, new customers to your, right. to your brand. Right. So I think, and I do, I do think Felicity is interesting. What you said is so true. And I've always thought it as a fan of the show and thinking that season one was a near perfect season because I feel like it was constructed like a film. And when you look at all the players who are involved in, especially season one, there were filmmakers who were just sort of starting in television. So I think they absolutely got caught up in, oh, crap, we have to keep it going. And it's such a different beast. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the best. Well, I can tell you one of the best season premieres I had and then one of the craziest season premieres I had. The best one, I think, was when we was Everwood season two. Um, cause we had had such an incredible first season and Greg Berlanti had mapped out such a, in my opinion, just a beautiful season of television and 22 episodes where you really fell in love with these two families. And we ended the season on whether or not Dr. Brown would have saved Colin, who was kind of the Amy's boyfriend and the whole reason for the season. Um, and I remember the network you know, the kid, the actor who played Colin was Mike Irwin and everyone loved him and he was so dreamy. And the <laughs> WB was like, well, you can't, can't get rid of Colin. And Greg, to his credit, was like, well, we are. Cause that's, that's what happened. That's what this show is about. This show is about loss and grief and how sure. you deal with it. And season one was all about, you know, the Brown family having gone through the devastation of losing their mother. Mm-hmm. And now season two is going to be about how is Amy going to go through the loss of, of her. Right. Her first love. So it was a huge drama, big fight. But I think that f- I remember being in Utah shooting that premiere episode so clearly. <laughs> I just remember we had this whole sequence at the pool because she was working at the pool. Cl- and it was just, it just looked beautiful and it was beautiful. And we did the whole opening was a dream sequence where he was alive. And then you realize it was a fantasy on her. Right. So it was just so emotional. And I w- have watched it recently because there was like a hot second where we were hoping we might get to go back and do a little more Everwood. Oh, wow. I know. So I, of course, took it as my binging opportunity to be like, sure. I'm going to go back and see if I still love our show. <laughs> Happy to say I do. Still love it. <laughs> still love it. <laughs> um, but that premiere was to me like one of the, it was just kind of perfect. And it, it, it promised everything that the show had been. But I think it also had, we added new characters. It did sort of, it switched everyone around in a really mm-hmm. nice way. and we moved the doctors into the, like there was just enough stuff that made it different. So that was kind of a perfect one. And it all came together. My crazy one <laughs> was uh-huh. in mistresses, uh-huh. our season three premiere. We, our show was like the little engine that could, we never knew if we were going to get a pickup. We had to fight for our pickup all four years. Um, and then in season three, they said, okay, you're picked up, but you're moving to Canada. And, our star, Alyssa Milano, uh, you know, had a family and said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Right. And we realized the entire cliffhanger of season two 
was completely ab- about her character. Whereas in season one, if they had right. moved this, to, if they had moved this to canon in season two, season one had ended with her like on her deathbed, and we're like, you could have just killed her, and it would have been totally <laughs> sure, fine. Sure. Season three, the entire cliffhanger. There was a wedding. Everything was like rooted in this sister betrayal that we had done, and we couldn't get Alyssa. Like we couldn't get her for a anything. scene for right, anything. Right, right. So we had to. In the writers' room, it was just this complete. How do you invent, how do you pay off the promise of the one sister has just betrayed the other sister in the most magnificent of ways by sleeping with her ex-husband on her <laughs> own wedding day? Because, of course, it's mistresses. Sure, sure. That's what happens. That's one does. Yeah. That's what that's one does. Yeah. And, uh, and we didn't have Alyssa. So that was a real, we did the whole thing based on a text. She essentially sends her sister a text. And I remember we shut where she, and then she gets the bubbles back and like one sentence and she's gone. And the whole episode is the sister trying to find her sister uh, until we, and then we just like, had, right. but that was the biggest bummer. That's it's, <laughs> what's, what's interesting is, and I don't, I don't know what sort of um, how, how you show run, obviously. But, you know, one of the things that it seems like JJ prides himself on is blowing up his television shows at the end of his seasons and then mm-hmm. attempting to put them back together again at the top of se- at the next season. And, and I think to some degree, every show has that to a degree, sure. um, you know, of, of wanting to sort of leave everybody hanging and to have an ellipse that people can't wait to see what happens on the other side of. Um, that being said, sometimes uh, if the damage is too severe, <laughs> yep. you, you can you can hurt your audience, which is something that Felicity struggled with in season two. Um, you know, specifically the obviously the haircut that became this black hole that seemed to suck everything <laughs> into it. Yes, but but also just you know they it's clear that they basically said we're going to kind of blow up the show, right? I mean, they blow up Ben and Felicity. They have her dating, you know, some other guy that no one really cares about or, or particularly likes for all intents and purposes. Noel is off dating Amy Smart. Everybody's Ugh. off doing their own, <laughs> doing so, their own things. Yep. And it's, and it's all kind of, um, it's, it's darker. It feels a little more dangerous. It's, it's all sort of very interesting. I think as a, as a viewer, but I could also imagine a bunch of teenagers being like, what the fuck is this? Totally. <laughs> like, this is just not what I signed up for. Totally. But it's interesting to sort of look at, at this. So again, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but no. you know, they talked a little bit on the commentary track of the finale about how, you know, top of your season, you try to have ideally three or four scripts in the hopper so that you have a little bit of runway. Right. And then by the end of the season, you're running on fumes. You're writing your finale in basically five days and yeah. shooting it. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Right. And then yeah. you get a break and then everyone's ready to go into season, the next season. So your, your premieres are always filled with possibilities and your finales <laughs> are always filled with sort of dread. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's it's interesting to see these two episodes next to each other and to see a show sort of at the peak of his powers a little bit. It was it was never more popular than it was coming out of season one going into season two mm-hmm. and how they weaponized that creatively, um, but perhaps made choices that were a little alienating at the same time. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you sort of as a showrunner, how do you juggle that transition from finale to, to premiere? It's. It's particularly difficult when you have every show has its own DNA. So 
when you're writing a show, for instance, that has any any sort of core family at the center, like Everwood was perfect because it was two right. families and there were love interests within the families, but you were also dealing with familial tension. Sure. Felicity was rough because it was just about these group of friends that yeah. were tethered together by circumstance of season one. But that was the core family that we fell in love with. That's what you want to see. And then they blew them all apart, as you said, in season mm-hmm. two. And it lost all the energy of their connectedness, which is the ensemble, right? which is what you fall in love with. But it's, but I can see that that is the struggle, certainly in a one hour, I think, which is why you don't get as, if you think about it, like how many one hour shows are rooted in a group of friends that don't, yeah. even mistresses, we wound up making two of them sisters because right. the roots are stronger. Yeah. So anything that can sort of tie you down and keep mm-hmm. you closer. Um, but you want to be thinking, I, I, I don't know. I can, I, ju- I told you, I just watched that episode and I did. I was like, how ballsy of them to take yeah. us through the entire first season, do this. Who is it going to be? And then they break up in like the first episode. episode. Well, not quite the first episode, but, but like basically, act the next one yep. of episode two, yep. they've broken up. And so you're like, wait a minute. I don't even get to watch the relationship. That What was the point? But I think that was also like, as a pure Noel fan, it was sure. like, well, what what is she going to do with Ben? That was, I think, also when they realized, oh, we need to make Ben more of a person because he was just, he was just yeah. a pretty face <laughs> for a very long time. For a very long time. <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's really interesting, too, as to why they break them up. You know, the, the show was tagged in its, you know, in, in its first season as a show about a girl who chases a boy. Mm-hmm. Which I don't actually really think the show is about that. I actually think it's about a girl, a uh, woman trying to figure out who she wants to be and what type mm-hmm. of person she wants to be. And, and, and Ben is just an excuse for her to kind of throw her life into upheaval yes. so that she can put it back together again. And what I kind of love is that the top of the season is about her really coming to grips with that and seeing mm-hmm. that Ben is not emotionally mature enough to be with her. Right. Um, and this season becomes about Ben actually growing enough that by the end of the season, he's, worthy of felicity for for all intents and purposes and that's a that's a pretty nuanced and and sort of deep reason for them to break up yes. you know other shows would have had it be something far more flippant or you know I, I, someone else or or whatever it is something some exterior force some right. plot mechanic this is an emotional reason which is kind of rare yes and really deep yeah but I think absolutely. But God, didn't you just hate it? But you hated his roommate, uh, Grumberg. Sean, Sean, yeah. Yeah. Who just kept like poking needling him, him, just needling him. <laughs> and, and that's what, uh, and I, I having just rewatched it, I called Josh and I'm like, I can't believe you had Noel say all those terrible things. That was not, they also really made Noel, they did such oh, a yeah. 180 on that character yeah. in season two that, and he was like, my favorite character on the entire WB. So yeah. that was particularly rough. Yeah. The scene he has with Felicity in the kitchen in the new apartment <gasps> is a, is a really terrible scene. Terrible scene. It's, so I'm going to give a brief synopsis before we get into the movie. Episode, <laughs> yes. Cause I don't want to spoil it all. But, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, so in this episode, Felicity returns to school after making her big choice over the summer to go cross country with Ben. 
But now there's a ripple effect. Things are great with Ben, but Jewel and Noli are far from forgiving her. She's become an RA with Megan uh, just in time to deal with a new housing shortage and living with Megan again. And also there's a new arrogant freshman uh, played by Michael Pena, whose name is Brian Burke, which is absurd. I know. That was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> but And they actually call him Berkey, which I think yeah. is also Absolutely Amazing. Ridiculous and great. Uh, so this episode uh, aired on September 26, 1999. It was written by J.J. Abrams and directed by Lawrence Strilling, who says hi, by the way. And hi, will, Larry! He's coming on uh, after this to do an interview to talk about directing this episode as well. So. Oh, I love it. Send him uh, my love. Of course, of course. So what I kind of love is that this episode starts with that whole welcome back first day of school energy of just like optimism and possibility. And then just becomes a series of Felicity getting kicked in the teeth by everybody she knows. Yep. Yep. Uh, which is, which is kind of a perfect season premiere thing. I mean, as you know, season premieres are sort of a curse and a blessing. They're a blessing because like, Lots of things happen and they're a curse because there's a lot of table setting that has to be done. And it's a lot of sort of setting things up for the season to come. Right. Um, how do you, how did you, when you were working on stuff like that, juggle those things? I mean, how do you sort of find a, a balance between the table setting and also making it a good episode of television? The beauty is if you're lucky enough to get a season premiere, it means you've gone <laughs> through a whole season. Yes. So hopefully it means you've earned a lot of goodwill in terms of people just being excited to see the little things about your, your characters, you know, that they, that they fell in love with. Like, again, thinking of Everwood, it was, it was, it was fun to see because having gone through the first season of Everwood and character, Chris Pratt's character was, had a smaller role in, in the first season, but he, we saw his fan base building and building and we started to have so much more fun towards the end of the first season, turning him away from sort of the, the mean jockey, dare I say MAGA bully and into this fun, loving dopey, dopey guy that everyone, that sort of became the Chris Pratt that we all know, that we all know and love. And so season two premiere, we realized, well, we could get, we're going to put a lot of heat on Bright and let him be the light and sort of, you go to the characters that, you know, you've built fan bases around while you're secretly hoping, hoping to also be spooning in the vegetables of introducing a new character. Like I'm, I think we must have introduced, actually now I can't remember. I know Amy had a new love interest for season two. I, I can't remember if we introduced him in the premiere. Uh, I have it's no, been a I, while, unfortunately. It's, it's been a while. I don't remember. But I think the goal is to just balance it, is to give everyone, remind them why they loved your characters in the first place, and then mm-hmm. hopefully sneak in some additional characters that are going to fit nicely into the world. Oh, I do remember, like in season three premiere of Everwood, mm-hmm. we got to introduce, because that was when I was that's when I transitioned and took over the show and Greg was working on building what eventually the biggest empire of an all of television. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but I was very excited to just be working on season three of Everwood and we introduced Scott Wolf into okay. the show. And okay. that was a huge, and it was really interesting because the tone shifted slightly. Mm-hmm. Everwood sort of, and, and actually I got a little bit of, not pushback, but there was an awareness and there was like a bit of trepidation because the show started to feel like it might be veering into two 
too much of a lighter tone, maybe getting a little bit glib wherever Wood was mm-hmm. a show that was had started off in some pretty heavy duty sure. ideas. And then I wanted to, I came from comedy. So I, and we had Scott Wolf, who was just so funny, so mm-hmm. funny. Nobody knew. So it was, we kind of were shifting things away, but if you're lucky enough to have an amazing actor that you get right. to bring in, like, and you know, lost did that every sure. season where it was, that's the, that's the best when you can bring in some fantastic actor mm-hmm. that just sparkles and brings life to it. The, the downside is if you miscast. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, which every show has dealt with that in some form or another. Yeah. Um, it, it, it also feels like, the temptation must be there in a premiere, like you said, because you're, you're given a fair amount of rope, your audience and your studio and network. I imagine if you're getting a season two or whatever season premiere, do you sort of finding that balance of taking some risks as well? This show obviously fully embraced that, yes. uh, wrapped its arms around that idea, um, which I commend it. Like I said, I think it's courageous what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that, that jumped out at me rewatching this episode was Ben's character. Um, we did, uh, to your point, we didn't, I mean, Ben was obviously a main character through season one, but I'm not sure that we really got to know him that well. He felt sort of peripheral, um, mm-hmm. because his relationship with Felicity for all intents and purposes was not really that fused. Right. Um, so this is the first episode where he's got a pretty bright light shining on him. And this is the writer saying like, this guy thinks he wants to be with Felicity, but he's wrong. Right. <laughs> and there's this part of the problem I have with Ben's character, at least up until this point, And I'm looking forward to continuing to watch and seeing him evolve. Cause I do think by the end he got a lot better, but there's a little bit of a smugness to him. <laughs> um, there's a little <laughs> bit of a thinking he's cooler, better than everybody else. Yes. Um, and, and, and to quote somebody else who came on, he's a bit of a fuck boy. Like yes. there's a little bit of this, just like he kind of <laughs> knows that everyone wants to have sex with him. And, um, indeed. Par- Part of that is also that he's not that close with Felicity's friends. So the grenades that he's dropping in her life are far more severe than they are to his own life. So he's, there's a selfishness to, well, just like fucking throw your life into upheaval for me. You did it once before you'll do it again. Right. Which isn't great. <laughs> right. He's also sort of the, he's the less developed if that's Jordan Catalano, yes, you know, but Jordan Catalano, what they, they, they surrounded that character so fully, her love for him was so strong and so intense and which all made sense in the mind of of a high school girl. And that, so you can forgive, but also you started, the writers started to let you in on the fact that Jordan Catalano himself is like desperately insecure totally terrified that he's going to be found out for, for not having the depth mm-hmm. or any intellectual substance whatsoever. I mean, or all being able of, to read or being able to read, like they really leaned yeah. into it. So yeah. he actually became a little bit more two dimensional, even in yeah. his own fuckboydom. Whereas yeah. Ben, I think, I don't know what happened. I mean, again, as I was a Noel girl from day sure, sure. one, I was like, well, sure. listen, You've got the smile, but he's got the smile and he's funny. <laughs> so you go with the funny guy with the smile. <laughs> I don't even understand. I don't even understand what's happening. When she yeah, chose I Ben, I just was like, I, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I was so mad at her. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because at the top of this episode, they do a bunch of things that I think are really great. Um, they use Javier to be the audience surrogate mm-hmm. um, and who is just such a funny and lovable character. And he's saying everything that we're thinking, right. um, which is great. Um, and they, they also sort of have Felicity walk us through her thought process as to why she went with Ben. The idea of Noel being safe, the idea of spending the rest of her life wondering what could have been if she actually went with the boy that she flew all the way around the mm-hmm. country to do. Like, I get it. Um, and, and I, and I love the fact that in the next episode after this one, she calls Ben out for being kind of a fraud and, and, yeah, and a, coward. Know, a coward. Yeah. Um, and then chops off all her hair. <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, listen, it's believable. I, yeah. I have no doubt that, that there are lots of people that do just what she did. Um, but it does sort of, to your point, um, it, it makes us question our lead. Mm-hmm. And that's a strange place to be as an audience member. Um, I, I mean, you, you've been on yes. many, many shows and, and your, your lead character is always a little bit like Teflon. Yes. Um, you know, they, they're, they're sort of, they're always the thing that the audience can hold on to knowing like everything's going to be okay here. And when that character starts doing things that feel, right. uh, I don't know what the reckless, I guess, is the best way to put it. It can make us feel imbalanced as an audience member. Um, so, That's so smart. That's very true. So it's sort of question. It's like all of these things just made me go like, did no one ever stop them at any point and say like, this is probably <laughs> not great. But I don't I mean, know. I mean, you know, it's funny because you're, you've put it really eloquently and it's very true. And, and I'll stop talking about everyone. It's just for whatever reason. This no, 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 please. It yeah. brought me back to that time. And it was all happening in the very, everyone was 2000, I think, all the same time period. But I remember in our season two premiere, mm-hmm. exactly what you said. So our lead character, Treat Williams, has not saved the boy. You know, yeah. the whole season one is, will he, won't he, will he, won't he? And then the end of it is he goes into surgery to try to save this kid's life. And then he comes up in the premiere and he failed. And he is exactly what you just said. He's sort of broken and he's not the man that you knew. And he's not the lead that the audience trusted. But by the end of the episode, you know, Greg smartly has the other doctor, the one Dr. Abbott come and say, you can't do this. Like you're Dr. Brown. You're the star of our show. Subtext, subtext. (laughs) And you have to, you have to get snap out of it and like Mm -hmm. be who you are. And then we were able to, so I think we were able to tell the honest story of mm-hmm. sometimes your lead gets broken. Um, but because he was our lead, we had to sort of put him back together by the end of that episode to a certain extent so that right. he could then continue to carry you through the season and that you feel like you're in safe hands. And we let Amy shit the bed. <laughs> she's not the lead. <laughs> that right. I mean, it's all of this sort of is interesting to talk about because, it, you know, in 1999, we're, we're really seeing, um, the fork in the road for television because the Sopranos premieres in 1999 as well. Mm. And that becomes the, the, you know, the tectonic shift in television where all of a sudden antiheroes can exist. They exist on cable, but they don't exist on broadcast. And, 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 you know, we've seen over the last 20 years or so as, as broadcast television has tried to sort of, 
I don't want to say chase cable because that doesn't seem fair to them, but I do think that they've tried to infuse, (laughs) not totally untrue, but try to infuse those dynamics into their, into their shows when they can. Because I do think that a broadcast audience and a cable audience are different audiences and the expectations are different. Um, from, from, you know, I think that a viewer that watches Breaking Bad is expecting that quote unquote hero to do fucked up things. Right. Um, they're not expecting it from, Grey's Anatomy. Right. So for good or for bad. So I think that it's just interesting to sort of see this moment and to see Felicity as a show. Now I'm not suggesting that they were watching the Sopranos and thinking we should do some crazy shit, but I do think that something's in the water at this moment. And Mm -hmm. I do wonder whether or not there are shows, even, even hearing you talk about Everwood and how, you know, people were starting to, the writers of these shows are starting to feel bolder, which is great. It makes for Mm -hmm. better television. Yes. But um, so uh, to, to, to pivot back to Ben for a second here, to speak of, of characters that, that perhaps making choices that we don't necessarily agree <laughs> with, uh, he in this episode has, and, and I, I do feel bad because I know we have a lot of Ben fans that listen to this podcast oh, and some of them have been tweeting at me and saying, you know, that we're, we're constantly ragging on Ben. And, and listen, <laughs> uh, we're writers, we're neurotic, we're all going to love Noel. That's just the way it's going to be. It's so it's just who we are. But... But Ben also in this episode has a very kind of like, I won, I got Felicity vibe through this episode. Yes. And, and it's just, it's just not a great look. She loves it. She's drinking it up, but it's just not a great look. Um, no one really has a great look in this episode. <laughs> no, ever, that's what I couldn't believe. Again, I'm texting my friend who I know is very responsible for much of all four seasons of Felicity. And I'm watch, I'm rewatching this in my room and I'm like, what did, were you thinking? And I will say, the, and I'm sure you're speaking to other writers. Yeah, yeah. The only insight he gave me was for what it's worth. While the, there, the, the raging debates that were going on in the writer's room of who she would choose. And he said, half the time she had chosen Noel. Like Noel was up in the, up for grabs. And I was like, well, what, what the hell, what happened? His answer, which I actually take to heart sure. was if she got together with Noel, which again, I think, well, I would have wanted to see that they didn't know how they would break them up because it was like, Mm. that's such a good, and that's always the, that's always the danger when, when an entire show is built around, will they, won't they? And there's really nothing else going on. Mm -hmm. You're in big trouble the second you get them together. Cause when you think of the other shows that have that, they're either half hours where it's not that hard to fill 18 minutes with some, I mean, it's very hard, actually. I take it back. <laughs> Nothing is harder than to fill 18 minutes with actual jokes that will make yeah, you Yeah, they're funny. Back. Yeah. But you have Sam and Diane. Yeah. But, you know, even with Grey's Anatomy, which is such a perfect mm-hmm. television show in, in every way, obviously, as it's been the number one forever. Uh, but that love story, that will they, won't they, that went on, was mm-hmm. then surrounded by... 10 person ensemble and three other medical stories like Felicity. This is all it was about. So I do see their fear of the second she chose anyone, like the air just goes right out of the balloon, but somehow it was because they all became such terrible people in the pilot of (laughs) in the second season premiere. The fact that, and, and, and Julie was just like the worst friend ever. She was so mean. That was an issue that I, in rewatching, I remember having with Felicity and of 
those boy did they not treasure female friendship yeah we've we've <laughs> talked about that on previous episodes it's a, it is a it's a big blind spot and and the, it's interesting too cuz you know there were a handful of female writers on this show one of which was posing to be a teenager but we'll just move past <gasps> that yeah, remember yeah. that yeah yes, crazy I do. I do. um there it's so it's so crazy so crazy um but so there, there were a fair amount of female voices on the show mm-hmm. um i ultimately think that part of the problem was that these I'm going to say these three women because it's Felicity, Julie, and, and Elena are so drastically dissimilar mm-hmm. that they you don't necessarily buy their friendships. Exactly. And they just don't have a lot of commonality between them. I mean, Elena and her are both studying to be doctors, sure, fine. But ultimately, there's just that lack of – the whole group feels like an island of misfit toys, yeah. which, which – in theory, isn't a bad idea, but to, to your earlier point, it makes them all feel very kind of oddly disconnected. Mm-hmm. So it, so your ensemble doesn't like feel like a whole in a weird way. Yeah. So if there's fissures, they just feel much more significant. Uh, yeah. Julie's not great. Um, she was so mean in the second, in the premiere, she, just moving uh, everything she did. You were just like, what, what? And no one was meaner than Grunberg though, the roommate. I mean, he was just a catastrophe of a human. But was he wrong? He wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong, but also moving Julie in, like everything he did was so crazy. That was the other thing. Some of it was, because what I think I remember, and I haven't seen the first season in totality Mm -hmm. in in a long time, but I do remember feeling like there was like a real honesty to the show. And even if you were frustrated you know, that on the very basic level, it was about a girl who changed her entire life to follow a boy. I, t- I tend to agree with you and think there was obviously a much deeper thing going on, but that's the, that's the yeah. hook that we're following. Sure. But like somehow it all worked in the first season. Cause I believed it. Like there were honest little moments. The se- season premiere of the second season Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It felt like a lot of more contrived conversations. And I was like, well, why would he do that? And why would he say <clears> that? And, and it felt like they were tr- they were trying to force the story a little bit more to get to the end that they wanted instead sure. of finding it. Yeah, people saying things because they have to say it rather than because they would say it is yeah. never great. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's it definitely. I mean, listen, it, it, these two episodes, uh, stuff Morik and the list are 
they're seismic episodes. I mean, they 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 go out of their way to to wipe the slate clean and to try to give people. I don't want to say a different television show, but certainly a different vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then try to unring that bell for the remaining portion of the right. season. Right. Um, as they start to realize, you know, what they have to do. But listen, they did a Twilight Zone episode, which is crazy. Like they did oh, things on this show. They were that so just like, brave and great. Yeah. They were great. I mean, and she, the end of the second episode of the yes. list did bring you back your, your brought Felicity back in a major way. When sure. she takes, I mean, Ultimately, it's funny because your brain only remembers what it remembers. So I was like, I feel like he broke up with her. And I guess he did, but he didn't. She really breaks up with him. And it's so, that part was fantastic. It's great. Yeah. It's, you, you almost wish, and I know they didn't do this, but you almost wish that it was a two hour premiere and that they just got to put both those episodes together because the end of this first one has her all like, happy and smiling in the elevator with Megan as Ben listens to her tell Sally that she loves him (laughs) and he shits a brick. Um, But so it's kind of a, it's, it's an odd place to leave the premiere. Um, So on some level, you almost wonder if those two episodes probably were written together and probably would have spoken better better as one. Yeah. But, but we were on the wheel back then. I don't know. And which is such a funny thing that no one in this current climate would even understand that word. But do, uh-huh. do you remember the wheel? I don't think I did. WB I don't at that time was like the first to think maybe we can do uh, programming without repeats. So oh God. Jack and Jill, because oh I remember this is how I know that we were playing simultaneous with Felicity, because our second season, we were picked up to be the middle of the year of Felicity. Mm-hmm. So sure. Felicity started, Felicity ended, and then Jack and Jill came in in the middle, and they were mm-hmm. the first network to try to get away with no oh. repeats. Um, wow. So I do wonder how that affected the writing. For That's them. really yeah. interesting, because I, I, I have a vague recollection of that. I, full disclosure, I'm from Toronto, so what? I didn't have the WB in the I same way. I heard it. I hear your did. voice. <laughs> so, so I didn't have that same... Like, I don't even know what it aired on. I think it was CTV up in Canada. But yeah. uh, so it was different for us. But that notion of no repeats isn't isn't all that dissimilar from Kevin Riley's failed attempts on Fox to try to do these sort of truncated, shorter cable right. size seasons. Right. But then you go away for such an extended period of time, it kills your, your momentum. So That's as we've I all... Yeah. We've all learned that lesson. Yeah. Um, something that I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. Do we think that Felicity's hair being up for so much of this episode was preparation for the fact that they were going to cut her hair off? <gasps> That's so funny. I did they real? <laughs> where did they shoot that? They shot that in L.A., right? I don't think they really shot in New York. Shot, yeah, they uh, shot in Culver City. They shot in Culver City. So I, because I was going to say maybe because it was must have been so hot. <laughs> and she had so much hair did, that, that could have been I don't I it's don't just know. it's 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 up really like high in a way that I don't know I'm just wondering whether or not it was a visual that's cue genius. or preparation no I love I'll, that I'll, I'll ask I'll ask Lawrence and see what he says yeah. Maybe he'll have, he'll have ask some him to that. <laughs> I would have thought she's just must have been so hot all the time with all that hair on oh, her yeah. neck and the- <laughs> Sure. That's what I think here. Sure. I can, I mean, God willing, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk to some of the cast and see what they have to say. But, um, I, I love Megan's character. Um, she's probably my, my MVP of the show, Amanda Foreman, who's so great yes. as, as the roommate. Um, 
you know, the when they're doing the first RA meeting and she says to that girl, what kind of prescriptions? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. It, she's just so... I imagine she was the most fun to write for, but uh, she's fantastic. She Her fantastic. outing Felicity's sexual escapades in that first RA meeting as well is also pretty great. Um, here's a question, and one that I, I, I assume you'll have some insight into. Uh, premieres and finales get a little bit more money than your other episodes from a budget perspective. Yes. So some of the location shooting, I'm assuming was because of that. I'm assuming that they got to go to New York. It looks like they went to New York a little bit. It does bit look, I think for sure they went to New York. Yeah. So it definitely has that, has that vibe. And, and, and when the show gets a chance to go outside, mm. you realize how much it's inside. Oh yes. <laughs> Cause it is just, it's a very interior heavy show, which is, I mean, budgetarily, that's how it is. And that network, for sure, I mean, we were operating, all of the shows on the WB were operating on much smaller scales than the larger right. networks. So They still are, right? The CW still has relatively 100%. lower budgets. CW now is is confusing because at a certain, I don't, I can't follow it exactly, but I know at some point they made some deal with Netflix. So certain mm. shows on the CW, I think, get a little Netflix bump. Oh, interesting. <laughs> sure. Even <Okay>. financially. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, for the most part, you're definitely dealing on with, you know, it could be half of what a traditional ABC show would be giving you. Oh, wow. Okay. So you are, so you are planning, like with Everwood, we had the same thing where we knew we got to build to our sweeps. So mm-hmm. we, we got to go to New York. I don't remember what season it was, two, maybe two, three, two, somewhere in there. But you are, you're saving, you're basically talking with your line producer from the <clears> beginning and building. But yes, for sure, you're, everyone is planning bigger premiere, right. bigger finale. And back in the day when you, when there was such a thing as sweeps, you cared about that sure. little, that well, little. There's bit. a lot of, uh, a lot of hammocking, if you will, yes. of just sort of like, you know, some, some, that's where your bottle episodes come in. That's when, when yeah. you start trying to save money and do stuff like that. Um, I do think that the act out of act one of, Ben and Noel both walking down the hallway, Felicity in the middle, us not knowing who she chose, all of it wordless. That's the show. Like yep. if, if there was one sort of visual, it's kind of amazing how much of this show is wordless when it can be. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing in that way. And it really encapsulates the entire show. Um, I, I think that uh, there's nothing petty. Noel is the worst Noel. It's just a, te- it's a terrible scene. And I, and I get it. So Noel and Elena have moved in together at this point, which again is sort of to, to your kind of contrivances. Mm-hmm. There is sort of this having to compartmentalize people and still yeah. keep them within the orbit of Felicity is just a necessity. And yet it's a little bit bumpy. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's not great. Um, so Amanda Foreman is made a, a series regular and thus we actually get to see a scene where Megan tries to be nice to Felicity. Yeah, I loved that scene. It's a wonderful scene. Yeah. Um, and Megan trying so hard to get through this meaningful conversation and breaking and being like, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I, I gotta yeah. go. But it's, it, it's, it shows this moment of like season one, she's a bit of a foil Season two, we're going to make her into a real person. Yes. Which is uh, always nice to see. Uh, Noel, Elena, and Julie planning on seeing the Blair Witch Project is peak 1999. <laughs> so much so. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Fantastic. 
It's so oh. true. I just felt poor Julie was really just swimming around that episode. It was kind of <laughs> yes. crazy. Like she had nothing. She, it was a really weird episode in that way. When you come back and you're thinking about as you're breaking characters for your, for your series regulars, mm-hmm. I can imagine that everyone was worried about how Amy Joe was going to take getting that script because she did not nope. get a lot to do. <laughs> I mean, same with Elena. I mean, this is part of the, you know, it, it kind of refers back to what we were saying earlier, which is this idea of they don't have storylines. I yeah. mean, they don't have a season arc. They're just right. like, they get pockets of little things when they got to give Carrie Russell a break for a couple of days and right. they need, you know, to, to have a Julie storyline. It, it's a bummer. And I can only assume that as a cast member of a show like this, that has to be frustrating. Yeah. Um, but I mean, listen. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, got, I only they got to be on one of the most iconic shows of the, yeah, that the frog like, gave us. I don't us. feel that bad. <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. The frog gave us the show. Exactly. And people, you know, just pop, there are some people that also just pop. Like I think, as you're, you're, to your point, Amanda Foreman was fantastic, and that character could have easily been just the joke or the goth joke in season one. Like she could have easily just disappeared. But mm-hmm. I think there are some. You're also sometimes looking for chemistry. And that's Absolutely. when you're just lucky. You mm-hmm. know, obviously you have this incredible actor in Carrie Russell where she can just hold the screen yeah. forever. Like she's just so beautiful watchable. and watchable. And yeah. there's so much going on behind her eyes. She had chemistry with both those, with both Scots, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm a particular fan of Mr. Foley as, as I've worked with him many times. And I think okay. he's wonderful in every way. But like she, she had chemistry with both of them, but I don't know, but not as much with, with the women like that, that as to your point, like sometimes because the friendships weren't, they didn't pop on the screen the same way that she did in those scenes with, with Megan, Mm -hmm. even though they weren't supposed to be friends there, there was just like an electricity between those two that sort of made it a little more fun. And it's, and you just, you never know that stuff. I no. mean, you, you know, like anybody, you sit in these auditions, you, you hear the words, you think you've got a great person, you watch a chemistry read, you think it's great or whatever. And then, yeah. you know, and then you're just like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. then you just, then you're, then you're just hoping for the best. It's, it's interesting too, because the, the, the love triangle that you speak of, and I've, I've posed this to, to a number of my guests, love triangles don't generally work. Will they, won't they is a relatively, quote unquote, easy to do. Right. You can always find things to wedge it between two people. Right. But trying to find something to keep a love triangle, that's tough. So I commend them for finding a way to milk it for four seasons. I mean, that's not... Oh, easy. yeah. And to really have such a divided... You know, we tried to have a love triangle in Privileged <laughs> and our executive fired one of the pieces of my triangle. And I tried to explain to them, I was like, but wait, if... He's the other part of the triangle. She's it's not choosing, a triangle anymore. <laughs> she's choosing between two boys, and they said, "No, she's not. We we don't want that guy. She's going to choose the oh. other one." I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> it was it was that was that's terrible. ruthless, ruthless, <laughs> ruthless. But but that's because usually people just the majority just prefers one. But I think Felicity is one of those very rare things where. There was the Ben and Noel camps were strong. They were strong. I mean, I think part of this, and uh, you know, forgive. I hope my listeners will forgive me because I'm repeating this. But you know, part of the casting. Speaking of casting, which is that Scott Foley was cast as Ben, and they couldn't find a Noel, and then 
they saw Scott Speedman's tape for Ben. I did not know that. And then Scott Foley was given Noel. So what you're left with is is basically two Bens, two actors that would be Ben. Because I think that the the plan for Noel was always for him to be the quote unquote ducky. Like he was always going to be kind of the nerdy guy. Not that hot. Right. Not as hot as Scott. (laughs) The show did do well on that. Everyone was just so pretty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just pretty people that was but by the way that was the wb i mean sure sure the heyday of the wb when they were doing and jack and jill there was never more beautiful people than there were <laughs> on i remember having to go to set and just you know sitting there going what i'm like an animal in in here like, surrounded, by, <laughs> surrounded by like who are these human beings that look like yeah. all the guys are like seven feet tall all the girls are perfect it was but that was the whole network. It's it's really I, I I mean I haven't been on that many shows, but when you're around cast, it makes you so deeply self conscious. Like you're oh just like, God. and and there's also you know actors have an aura about them as well, and there's just like there's an addictive component to that type of person, and you're just like God. What is it like to look like you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what is it like to be to walk through this world? Oh. It's it's amazing. It makes me think of the. Do you remember the John Hamm episode of Thirty Rock? Yes, where, it's exactly that. It is exactly it's everything that. he wants because he's beautiful. Right. No- <laughs> exactly. I remember well, the first time I was on the set of Dawson's and I met Katie Holmes mm-hmm. and. By the way, beautiful human being inside and out. And she was, everyone was so young, but I just remember and she was so tall and just, I, I had that exact thing. I'm like, what's it like <laughs> walking through the yeah. world looking like you do? It's crazy, crazy. It's crazy. Um, but to, to, to wrap up the episode, you know, essentially at the end of the episode, as I mentioned, Megan and Felicity are chatting. She's making fun of him for having not slept with Ben. They really, really underline that a lot, which I think is interesting that mm-hmm. on this road trip, they did not have sex. Yes. Um, so that they can have sex later in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But it's, so they really underline that. Um, and then Ben hears her tape to Sally and, and freaks out. Um, you know, I agree with you that the Sean stuff is a little harsh, mm-hmm. but I also feel like if they didn't hit it hard, I don't know that it if that the end of the episode would have landed. Right. That's true. You're right. You're right. And I think the fact that they didn't have sex, because I noticed that too. I'm like, boy, did they mention that <laughs> five or six times? Yeah. And it felt like a very... And I'm curious, ask Larry, because I want to know. I'm going to listen and find out. <laughs> it feels like the puritanical note. And there is something. Mm-hmm. And that, I would say, we, we had that note. Again, Joey Potter being a perfect example. There are there were certain women, young women, at that time in television. And, you know, it was still completely being dictated by the executives who were all, all men. <laughs> Right. And, and advertisers. And advertisers and felt very strongly about the, you know, Felicity has to be a hero. And, you know, they're very clear about how virginal she is, that it was just well, she, the one she time. She did lose her virginity. Oh, yeah. To Simon Rex. To Simon, to Simon. Jack and Jill. <laughs> in, in, in Larry <laughs> Trilling's episode. Indeed. Um, Indeed. It, yeah, in the in the art studio. It's at, you know, it is interesting the way that, because they, they have handled sex on this show. Very, I don't want to say subtly, but with a very kind of 
delicate touch. They, they, and, and not in a way that made it feel like they were afraid to talk about it. I mean, there was the date rape, rape episodes for Julie's character. Um, there was, you know, Felicity losing her virginity to Simon Rex. The fact that he asks her to have sex, there is an element of consent that goes on in that, in that scene. Right. Um, it is, it, it's all handled, I think, pretty well considering, which oh, is yeah. why, in this episode, I was so surprised by the amount of like, she hasn't had sex. She hasn't had sex. I was like, okay. I know. It felt very, it felt very much like a note because of yeah. course the way they are in the episode, they so felt like they, because it's, I think by that point, the actors had become well, a couple. Did, those <laughs> Clearly. Sure. But it's just the whole episode just reeked of the fact that they have definitely had road trip sex. Yes. It was crazy to imply that they hadn't. Yeah. But the yeah. fact that they kept saying it was so funny. I was like, man, did they get that note? I bet it was Mr. Yeah. John Litvak. May he rest in peace. Given that note over and over. Make sure that it's, gets in the script. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. I, I definitely felt it. I also wonder if there's a little bit of wanting to have that arrow in their quiver to use down the road. Like not wanting to feel mm-hmm. like it had been burned off screen. Off screen. Oh, true, true. So on some level, I get that. I just don't think I needed to be told it five times. No, absolutely. But, but anyway. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on for this, Rena. Oh, I really thank do appreciate you. It. This was so much fun. What a great way to spend an hour and just thinking about the '90s again. <laughs> Better well, we times. Have, we have lots of uh, lots more '99 television that we're going to cover over the next little while. So I hope that you'll come back. And oh yes, else in the future. I would love it. I would love it so much. Thank you for having yeah. me. So now we have the uh, interview we have with Lawrence Trilling, the director of that episode, who will walk us through what it was like directing the season two premiere of Felicity. So I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, producing and directing a season premiere, which I imagine is very different from directing an episode during the middle of your season, right? Which is that um, there's a lot more writing on it. You know what I mean? It's a lot. It, it's it's a higher stakes situation in terms of um, a lot of table setting, a lot of making sure that all the sort of pieces are in play um, for the season that's about to follow. Um, and this was a. Uh, a bold, a bold opening to season two, um, in terms of, uh, you know, JJ and this, I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but it does feel like JJ shows, he tends to drop a lot of grenades into his season finales and then put it all back together, uh, at the top of the next season, which is courageous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of very bold choices made at the top of this season, um, that really kind of shattered the show into a million pieces. Uh, I I loved it. I I think that as a viewer, that's really exciting. But I also understand that perhaps a lot of teenagers <laughs> were a little bit a little bit shaken by the significant sort of tectonic shifts that were going on within the show at the top of the season. But I guess my question to you is, as the director, how do you handle? the characters being kind of mean to Felicity for pretty much the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because I, I haven't watched it in forever. So I went back and rewatched it and to see Noel particularly be that, to be that cruel mm-hmm. was, it was really shocking. And, um, you know, going back to how you, how you teed it up at the beginning about season premieres, which is that, you know, you, you have to do two things, which is you have to, kind of whatever loose threads there were from the previous season, you have to want to tie up, but then you want to launch the new season and say, look, this is going to be a new thing. And here's how it's going to, how we're going to deliver it. And, um, you know, this was particularly fraught because the, 
which guy did she choose dilemma, which people got to, you know, think about for months. Uh, and, and that, you know, we got to kind of answer that. And then the question was, well, what's the show going to be after we answer that? Because that the whole first season was which of these guys, you know? So um, I think that first of all, you know, JJ did a great job sort of even teasing us longer by, you know, starting the show and not telling us for quite a while and having Javier get cut off as Felicity starts to tell the story. That was fantastic. But, you know, but, but then launching into this new season, which is going to be like, you know, once you've created this um, emotional, you know, once you've dropped this emotional bomb, what's the fallout going to be for all these people? And I think it was pretty uns unflinching that way and, and and as you said courageous especially to give uh so much venom to noel which was really hard hard and it was hard personally actually I, I was remembering as we watched it you know for carrie and for scott to have to do that to each other even as even though it, it, it's a sort of a thin line even though of course they're not those people but they're their character just there was it felt like it felt like a violation of something but that was ultimately necessary to create this new the world of the new season Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you guys built such a great template, right? Like you built an entire season of season one of a show figuring itself out. I mean, as, as you know, season ones are tricky. You know, you're figuring out your, your, um, your language of the show, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? You're sort of planting a lot of rails. And then the top of the season, that's all kind of thrown to the wind a little bit, right? I mean, you've got Elena and Noel living together in that apartment. You've got, you know, sort of this, the, every kind of character is kind of in its own weird way. It kind of feels like season two of the wire where mm-hmm. like everyone's just sort of thrown to the wind and you have to kind of learn to, I don't want to say learn to love these characters again, but certainly kind of learn to like these versions of these characters because they're different versions in this, in this season. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a big ask. And, and, and I think that that's great. I think it's great that this show pushed its audience and pushed sort of people to, to reacquaint themselves with this show. But I imagine as a director um, coming into a season premiere like that, it, it has to be a little tricky, right? I mean, it, there's a little bit of a balancing act in all of that. Absolutely. Because as you mentioned before, you know, there's a contract you're making with your audience about what kind of show you're going to be giving them. Yeah. And then, so, you know, we wanted to do two things, which is, you know, we wanted to make it feel emotionally real for, those four years of college, you know, every one of those years is almost like a decade in someone's emotional development, you know, and it's like, there's such, you go through so many swings uh, through those four years of your life. And, you know, sophomore year, particularly sophomoric, you know, that term, yes, which is sure. the title of the episode is about, you know, these sort of taking big thinking, you know, more than you do and having, you know, very, like, you know, a lot of self-assurance that isn't earned or, or on the flip side of that, having tremendous insecurity so I think, you know, it, it was very fitting to do that. And, um, but it was hard. And I, I keep going back to the, the scene where, uh, where Felicity and Noel first see each other, not the scene where she, where he blows her off in the hallway, but when he, when she is helping Elena move into the apartment yep. and talking about what you said, how do you navigate that as a director? That scene was very hard to direct because there were takes where Noel was even much more bitter than that. And it was, it felt so horrible. And we were like, it was very hard to navigate for all of us. Like, wait, is this, how far can we go? Like with this needs to be disturbing. This needs to be a totally shocking shift in their, in their relationship. But how, but if you go too far and then he's unredeemable, then we don't want to see him come back. No apologies can be good enough. So 
I, re- I specifically remember that scene being kind of the the nexus of how we were going to juggle this new season in terms of how far do we go? Because we know at some point these relationships are going to be repaired and reformed. Right. But how do you go with the, how does, how do we go with the authenticity of heartbreak, but still wanting to redeem Noel's character, not letting him become so bitter that he becomes unlikable. We, I think we walked right up to that line, you know, it was, it was uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe gone over for some people. Of course, we're one episode away from the bomb that we dropped on the audience, which was unforgivable in most of their minds and remains so. So, uh, so I'm glad we're not talking about the infamous haircut. <laughs> we're not talking about that, but but we will. Will we have you back for the for the end of all of this, where we get to talk about like the rest of the series? I want to talk about that uh, and the fallout of of the haircut heard around the world. But uh, but I do think that it's interesting because this episode starts in I think in a really wonderful way very kind of welcome back first day of school vibe. You know, you're back. Everyone's like back from summer holidays and everyone's filled with a lot of like optimism. And then the remainder of the episode is just Felicity getting kicked to the teeth by everyone she cares about for the remaining, you know, 35 minutes of the episode. And it's, it's kind of amazing how, I mean, I, 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 I call it courageous, but it really is to have your audience who you I mean Felicity is the hero of the show, right? She's the person that we're rooting for, and everyone is against her, <laughs> except for Ben, obviously. Mm-hmm. And to find that balance of not making everyone seem like assholes is really—I mean, it's really a testament to the way that you directed it to make sure that it still felt it still felt light. You know, what I mean, it's still quick on mm-hmm. its feet. It didn't feel like it was. Um, no one felt like villains. They just were hurt. And right. that's that's a delicate thing. Yeah, delicate's the perfect yeah, well delicate's the perfect word for the show because I mean it, that dynamic, but also more broadly the show, because again, we talked about last time, you know, narratively, there's not a whole lot going on. It's about, you know, it's really about these really finely calibrated feelings. And I think in the case of what Felicity did, you know, she just behaved from her heart with the most integrity and most honesty that, that she could, but there was fallout. You know, Julie was devastated by it. Noel was devastated by it. And um, ultimately, it's going to be too much for Ben to handle, too. So it, but, um, you know, so I think that it's very – I felt that even though they were kind of shitting on her, that I got the sense where they were all coming from. If I'm Julie, I get it. I get that she – you know, how hurt she felt, you know, that – the boy that she liked and her best friend being together is a, a double betrayal. You know, that is just from her point of view, you have to understand that even though we're rooting for Felicity and she's our hero for Noel to have made the investment he made and only in Felicity and only be acting in good faith with her and honest with her. Well, except for that one little thing that happened during the feud, but sure. um, <laughs> you know, the truth is that the show does a good job of letting you be in other people's point of view as well. That's, that's my point, which is that, our, you know, and I think directorially the job was to really uh, get inside the, the complexity of everybody's emotional life so that we didn't just feel, oh, you know, they're, they're being bullies to Felicity. We actually felt bad for her, but we felt bad for them, too, because we understood the place of hurt that they were reacting from. And I think that you see not just the cruelty, but you see that it costs them to be cruel. And I think that's part of directing the actors or them, what they had in their own talent as actors, which is they had the, the capacity to even while saying a cruel thing, seeing what it cost them to be cruel because they knew they were hurting someone they loved. And I think that made them more redemptive. I, I, yeah, that, 
I agree with all of that. It, it's part of it is approaching them as three dimensional people. I mean, it's, and I think that a lot of the time in soap and I mean, just in television in general, writers can sometimes seem, see or watch their characters like chess pieces, just moving them around to try to sort of continue a story. But it does feel like this show really thought about the emotional complexity of everyone in these situations. And I think that that's why the show feels so rich because of it. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the Felicity and, and Ben situation because coming into this premiere, she basically has one ally and that's Ben. And then by the end of the second episode, mm-hmm. she loses that too. Right. So it's, it, it is, it's so interesting. I had Mike Oziello on uh, to talk about the finale and he talked a lot about just sort of the, he did a whole piece on season two and seasons of shows that have been perhaps maligned when they shouldn't have been mm-hmm. and how he thinks that season two of the show might actually be the best season of the show. And part of the reason he feels that way is that this the, the risks that it took and that it showed the fortitude of Felicity as a character and it was about her figuring out who she is, which is the show. She really kind of is stripped down to her essence in this season of the show. I mean, she even loses her trademark hair. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's everything and how bold and, and, and kind of risky it is to do that. And yet I think rewatching it now, I, I tend to agree with Michael that like, this season is a different season. It's a darker season. It's a dangerous season for this show. And I think that's really exciting to watch. But I also understand how a teenager could watch it and be like, wait, what is this? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we would have been, you know, I think people loved the show being a certain way. And some people felt a sense of betrayal that it took a different path. But I think the truth is that if we'd just given people more of the same, I don't think we'd be talking about this show 20 years later. You know, and I think that, um, you know, Matt and JJ's process was always to think what would really happen with these people. And they were not, you know, of course we cared about the audience. And of course this is, you know, really before the internet was, you know, really involved in, in, in moment to moment feedback with them. But we had some feedback from the audience that way, but, and we cared about our audience, but really it was, we did the stories based on, you know, what we thought would really happen with these people based on what had really happened to all of us, you know, the writers and directors and producers of the show. So, we, you know, you don't go through four years of your life unscathed. And I think an audience, um, though some of them maybe were dragged along kicking and screaming, I think ultimately those were the right choices to be bold that way, you know. I, 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 could, I, I absolutely agree. I think that it's, it's interesting to watch this particular episode, which feels very much like episode one and two felt of a piece. Like they really did feel like almost a two part premiere. Um, so it's, it's interesting to, to, to watch them back to back because it feels like the end of, of let's say part one is obviously Ben hearing her tape to Sally, hearing her say that she loves him and him shitting a brick. And then, <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, the second episode is, is Felicity realizing that that Ben's a coward and that Ben can't handle her um, and that he doesn't have the emotional maturity to deal with her. And I love that this season is Ben's journey to being worthy of Felicity by the end of the season. And and that's that in, in and of itself, it's interesting that the reason they break up is emotional as opposed to an exterior force 
that usually is the way television works where there's someone else who enters the equation or there's some sort of a piece of drama that breaks them up. What breaks them up is Felicity being like, you don't deserve me. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of crazy to think about for a broadcast television show to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great about Ben's character is that he he's that kind of guy that that is very attractive to younger women, which is, you know, kind of elusive, mysterious, emotionally detached, all the, but then those are all the things that, you know, once you get close to that person, you realize that that's more of an affectation or an illusion and that it's impossible to be close. And that he's, I think, afraid of that um, actually being discovered as a fraud because he's, he knows that there's an allure and a mystique to the way that he behaves. And I think, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, Sean says, you know, kind of to, to freak him out, Ben, you know, like Felicity's not the girl you date. She's the girl you marry, you know, yeah. but by the flip side, Ben is the guy you date. He's not the guy you marry <laughs> because he's, he's the guy that when you're young, that is, has, has a romance. He's a leather, you know, he's almost like a James Dean type of uh, damage mm-hmm. quality. And you feel like you want to, help him and reach out to him. And of course it doesn't hurt that he's gorgeous, but I mean, there's something iconic about that kind of guy in a young woman's life. And I think that for him to be worthy, as you said, to be worthy of her, he has to go on a journey of his own personal authenticity. And it's not about how cool do I look? How much can I pull off with my charming, wonderful smile? You know, how do I actually develop myself as a person to be able to have the tools to have a, an emotionally rich relationship. So you're right that the show was brave in the way that that was, those were the stakes, not, you know, like you said, people, you know, betraying each other, you know, by having sex with other people and, you know, doing the kinds of normal things you would see in a, in a soap opera. No, I, I exactly. It, it just, it's, it's really interesting to watch Ben go on this journey. And I mean, I'm, I've been pretty forthright in the sense that I'm, I'm more team Noel than I am team Ben, but I will say that, Watching this season and seeing him go through the emotional journey that he goes through and the growth that he goes through by the end of the season, I kind of was like, all right, like I'm team Ben now. Like I can get on board this. Like this guy's grown up and he's starting to realize, you know, what it takes to be in a real relationship with somebody. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's still kind of dumb, but that's, that's the leader there. <laughs> But um, I, I also think that, you know, to rewind a little bit to the sense that there's a lot of table setting that has to go on mm-hmm. in the season premiere and a lot of things that have to sort of be set up. And that's also a little tricky, introducing new characters, introducing, in fact, Brian Burke to this television show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and just sort of really um, making it feel familiar and new at the same time is a bit of a balancing act as well. Um, so how did you, you know, how did you approach that? Well, it's a great question. I mean, you know, you want part of the thing about putting people into new places. I mean, that was part of it too. It's just like, okay, how do we make Elena and Noel's place feel like a place we want to visit? I mean, how do we feel Felicity's new room? Is that, how's that going to work? You know, and how does Julie work moving into the loft, you know? So it's about setting people in places because I think one of the joys of watching a show you love is kind of hanging out with your characters in these places. You know, it's like, you know, I think aspirational shows like Felicity or Wins where you're like, I want to be in that room with those people. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, by the nature of the way people live in college, they don't all live together the next year. So now you have to re kind of create a new constellation of people and places 
And then also the chess that's going to happen, you said in place, because people are now going to come across each other, right? Obviously, you by moving Julie into the loft, you have now automatic excuse for conflict as soon as right. Felicity walks through the door, you know? Um, same thing when she walks into Elena's place. So I think that was, you know, we needed to set up new places for story and conflict to be generated. But then you, again, we needed to start to make the investment in those places being places we want to hang out in. So I think, you know, even the thing of moving in with Elena and getting to see, you know, that Noel doesn't like the table that she bought and then we're, there's a charm that so we're going to make an investment in their place. So I think, you know, those are the kind of mini moves. And I think, again, with Felicity, we're talking about micro moves because the show is very nuanced in terms of narrative. There's not a lot of heavy plot, you know. Yeah. So I, this is the plot. Everybody's living now in new places, and when they come and when they come through the door, they're going to have conflict with the new people that live there. I mean, that's essentially the show. So um, that was, you know, the setting up the new places and who was going to be with who was um, was a kind of the task, and to make it make it and let the um, audience go on the trip with us to, to to discover it. Okay, here's the new place. It's not furnished yet. What's it going to be like when Julie moves in? Let's meet Brian Burke, which is a wonderful kind of <laughs> double discovery, both the discovery of Michael Pena, who would go on indeed, to indeed. become the Michael Pena that we know. And that was one of his first jobs. And, yeah. and then Brian Burke, who was just our friend at that time, and then would go on to become JJ's producing partner. Uh, was, that was his, his introduction to the world stage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. And I mean, Michael Pena is, is hilarious and, and wonderful uh, in this as well. I, I, I think that the other thing that sort of, you know, it's the the Julie of it all. I think was always kind of tricky for the show. I think she always sort of felt like the moments that resonated the most with me were the smaller moments with Julie, not the bigger moments. It's like her in the season finale saying to Ben, um, "I don't mean this in a in a bitchy way, but please don't call me. I don't want to wait by the phone waiting for your call." Mm-hmm. Like. Those are the moments that stick with me as opposed to sort of the, the, the more grandiose stuff. So I, I feel like Julie, especially going into this season, you have the whole situation with Sean and, and him having a crush on her and that not going the way that he wants it to go. Um, it's, it's just interesting the way that all the players coming into this season are just slightly tweaked and slightly different in good ways. It's just again to your point. It's it's putting it's putting wind in your sails for story, in a way that I think was really smart. Um, same with the Megan of it all. You know, Megan Amanda Foreman becomes a, a series regular going into season two, so Megan becomes a person as opposed to <laughs> this foil to Felicity. Like that that scene that they have where she's trying to have a real conversation with Felicity and she can't do it. It's just great stuff. And Amanda is so good on this show. But um, what was it like sort of starting to kind of unpack characters, starting to dig deeper into them, starting to dig into like Megan, for instance? That was a joy because, you know, what happens is, you know, over the course of a, of a series is that there starts to become this dialogue between the actors and the writers where the writers respond to what the actors are doing, the actors respond to what the writers are doing, and you find this way of, of feeding what you know their strengths are, and then they come and surprise you and you do other things. So as we learned more of what these people could do, um, we were able to, to shine more of a light on them. And then also some of them we knew, like Amanda, we already knew what a wonderful actress she was. And she was just, it was a matter of waiting her turn for, because like there was so much to get um, through Felicity, Ben and Noel, that dynamic that took up a whole season. 
that then it became time. There was an opportunity and a need to shine more of a light on her. And it was, it was fun. I mean, there was a danger there, which was that with Amanda, you know, the mystery of her being a totally unknowable person and a totally horrible person was so wonderful. And so you were going to have to give that up. That goes more into the, what you were saying before about now changing the rules on the audience and, and how, you know, how are we going to make her be a real person and to the point where later on she's going to have a, you know, relationship with Sean and there's going to be a real full person. Um, but I thought that scene was a great way to dip the toe into it, which is like, okay, she's going to, I'm going to kind of be a person, but I'm, I kind of can't go there. So slowly but surely we're going to go deeper with her and she's so naturally funny and warm that um, we could do that with her. And similarly with Amy Jo that you were mentioning, Julie. Yeah. You know, she's got a real, there's a depth to her and she plays this, um, she plays hurt so well, you know, that there's, I think that's why the little moments resonate with you more, uh, with her, because there's a real tenderness and a vulnerability to her. Whereas I think, you know, someone like Felicity or Elena, they're more buoyant. And I think so that you could make, you know, you could paint them on a bigger canvas. But I think Julie's character was very emotionally, um, I don't want to say fragile, but certainly delicate. And, um, so I think that's why those little, those smaller moments are the ones that resonate for you. That makes, that makes total sense. I, I, so here's a question, and maybe I'm making too much out of this. Is there anything to the idea that Felicity's hair is up for so much of this episode as a visual preparation for the fact that you guys are going to cut it all off in the next episode? You know, I don't think so. That's really funny. I mean, um, I don't remember that being a thing. Um, you know, Carrie was probably the one to decide when her hair would be up and when it would be down. And she, and she actually didn't love the curls as much as everybody else, which is why, you know, part of why she was so shocked that people reacted the way they did when she actually cut it. But that's really funny. I mean, it's unintentional, uh, unintentional setting the scene, but, but, uh, no, the foreshadowing was uh, accidental. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's funny because. It, it it is such a trademark, and and obviously you guys felt some serious blowback from from cutting her hair. Um, but it's first of all, it's a common thing. I mean, a lot of people cut their hair when they're going through emotional turmoil. They want to change themselves, and it's a it's a quote unquote easy way to change yourself. So I get why she did it. It's also great for story. Um, I also understand she had amazing hair, so it is sort of yeah, I do see both sides of the coin. Um, I, I, I love Noel and Elena and Julie planning on seeing Blair Witch Project together. That's peak 1999 right there, which I, which mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Um, did you, so here's another question for you. Uh, on the, there's a lot of emphasis put on the fact that Ben and Felicity do not have sex during their road trip. Mm-hmm. Is that, I'm assuming it's because they didn't want to burn, you know, the, 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 the story off screen that they wanted to make sure that they had that arrow in their quiver for down the road. But do you have any thoughts on it felt, it felt underlined a lot in the episode. Yeah, it's funny. I noticed that too, watching it again, it could have something to do with, I mean, I think if you're right, that from a practical storytelling standpoint, it was like, why do that off camera? Yeah. Um, um, and I think because she was, had only had sex one time, she was still, it was still a big deal for her sure. to, if she was going to sleep with someone. But it may have to, so to do with something to do with cultural attitudes that maybe it seemed she was still, there was something valiant and heroic about someone who 
wouldn't have sex unless, you know, there was a real relationship, a real depth. I mean, it might, there may have been a sort of implicit value judgment there that she's, you know, she doesn't just sleep around willy-nilly, you know, and uh, that may have been a sensibility at the time. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, Felicity is a very um, <laughs> calculated person, I guess is one way of putting it. So it's understanding on a certain level that she would be very kind of, specific about the choices she was making. And and you can see that in how deftly you guys handled it in the fugue, that it is a big deal to her. Um, and it, and so it makes sense that it would be underlined uh, in this episode. That makes sense. Um, and I think there's another aspect, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I think there's one other little aspect of that I just thought about, which is that, you know, Felicity's character is someone who would, who will like talk things to death, right? Who are like think things through to, to the end before she done, which is why her, uh, actual losing her virginity so impulsively was so surprising because, right. you know, which was, but because she was the kind of person who would think and plan about everything. And yet underneath all that is this really impulsive person who obviously the inciting incident of the whole show is that she doesn't go to the school she's supposed to go to at the last minute. So she does have this really wildly impulsive side, but really there's a something like who she's going to sleep with and when she's going to sleep with it. I feel like she would have had a lot of communication about her partner going into it about when that would happen or what would be the terms of that or how that should happen. So that, that could have been, that could have played into it as well. The more seeming to be the emotionally honest way that Felicity would have handled it. That, that, that makes total sense. I, I also just wanted to talk um, briefly about uh, the sequence that I feel like could quite honestly encapsulate the entire show, which is the hallway scene at the top mm. of the end of act one, where you have Ben walking one way, Noel walking the other, Felicity in the middle, all wordless, all just looks and music cues. It's, it's, I mean, I truly think that if you had to say to someone this is Felicity in a nutshell. I would say that, that that sequence could very well speak to the entire television show. That plus the, um, the end of season one, the season finale of her choosing between these two guys and who she chooses, who she doesn't choose. Um, but can you talk a little bit about how you sort of orchestrate that sequence? Because again, in, in, in honestly less talented hands, it could have seemed silly. And yet. Uh-huh. It doesn't. Well, well, thanks. I mean, you, I think you're right that that, you know, and we talked about it with the fugue too in the scene where Julie's playing and then Ben walks in and all the looks between everybody that that became a sort of signature of the show where these sort of uh, emotionally resonant moments of uh, communication non-verbally. Mm-hmm. And so between using um, slight slow motion, so we shot at 40 frames per second, not 48 frames per second. That was a felicity frame rate. Um, so for just for people who don't know, 48 frames would be double the, you know, half as fast as real time. But so 40 frames is sl- slightly slower than reality, just a slow ding. And so between that and the zo- slow zoom and the snuffy Walden cue, uh, there's a kind of dance going on that really Matt Reeves started with that, uh, with the pilot, that, that kind of vocabulary. So really I do think that that, uh, became sort of the, the, the kit that I could work from, you know, in terms of, you know, Matt had set a template for that. And so, um, but that was so much fun to just play all the, you know, the looks, the nuances and, and play the mystery. And again, once more withhold from the audience for as long as possible, what the, what the decision was going to be. But it was um, just, I think those fraught moments, those moments that are just so full before something big happens is a real signature of the show. 
I think also just the way that it's cut is also very interesting too. I mean, this is again, a hallmark of the show of just letting you sit in moments, not being super choppy, like really letting you feel the emotional power of a sequence is something that this show does incredibly well. Um, so I, I, I completely agree with all of that. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, um, it, it's, it's a great episode. It's a great premiere. It's, it really just sets the show off in such exciting new directions. And I, I don't know. I, 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 I continue to, I'm going to continue to watch season two, obviously, and, and keep watching the show to its, to its completion, even after we're done this miniseries. But I just think it's really interesting to see how, how brave, how exciting, how interesting season two is in retrospect. And um, I'm just, I'm, I, I love that I get to relive it with you. So I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about it, man. It's a thrill. It's been really fun to think about these things again for the first time in a while. And it brings back so many great memories. And I'm so glad that people still want to watch it and care about it. Absolutely. People love it. It's, 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 it's a, it's, it stands up and that says something, you know, people, people rewatch shows all the time for nostalgic reasons, but when a show holds up in a rewatch and it isn't just something that you like to have on as, as wallpaper, whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. it, it really says something about uh, the integrity of a show and, and, and how, how talented everybody is to be a part of it. So, so I really do appreciate you coming on and, and I look forward to us. We'll talk one more time at the end of this mini series to talk about sort of your experiences on the, on the tail end of, of the series you, you directed, I mean, my God, like 10, 10 more episodes or something like that. I think, yeah, I think 13, yeah, 12 more, I think, after that. Yeah, so a lot more, so, a lot more fun. And you, and you wrote one as well. And and, yes. and obviously I want to talk about sort of um, the series finale and, and, and time travel. <laughs> so. I'm all about it, man. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you so much, Lawrence. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure. Do you mind just holding on just two seconds while it uploads and then... Uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.